the series we're stepping into in the month of March. Hey, I did it. Finally, there it is. Uh, it's called Open Handed, The Freedom of Living Generously. And over this month, uh, my hope, our hope, I think, as leadership, is that each one of us in our walk with Jesus would come to understand what it means in relation to our stuff and our finances and possessions, what it means to truly live open-handed. And what it is to be free in Christ when we live like this instead of like this. You see, there's this thing in our world that says you need to grab onto whatever you can and hold tightly to it. And don't give away. And don't invest wisely. You know, just take whatever you can and hold on to it and keep it for yourself. And the crazy thing about that is that the Bible would teach that as soon as we close our hands around our stuff, as soon as I think I own anything, it's really the stuff that owns me. And so Jesus calls us to this whole other way of life that said, what if you open your hand and you live your whole life in relationship to your possessions and your stuff and and your finances with an open hand that never closes around what you think is yours, but instead discover the freedom of what it's like to never be in bondage to the things that want to own you and instead be completely owned by Jesus, which is a wonderful place to be. So as we step into this series called Open Handed over the next uh, number of weeks through the whole month of March, that's twice in a row, I'm so happy right now, um, <clears throat> I do pray for an outpouring of God's Spirit as He begins to guide us and lead us in this way of understanding stuff, possessions, finances from His perspective. So would you join me in prayer? I want to commission us to this adventure we'll be on for the next number of weeks of what it means to move from being closed handed to open-handed in all that we have so father we come before you this morning and so grateful for the fact that you call us to gather and to be your people in a place just like this in church i commission you both in this room and those joining us online by live stream i commission you in the name of the lord jesus christ to the adventure of generosity to which god is going to call us to and it always begins with this god you are first generous to us we didn't come up with generosity and decide to do something for you God, the whole way of generosity is how you have been towards us. You have poured out yourself upon us. You have given of yourself to us fully and not held back on us at all. And you're not stingy and you're not cheap. God, you are lavish in your blessing upon us of grace and mercy and goodness. And so, God, this is our opportunity, we feel, to respond back to you out of the generosity that you've shown to us and not be held by anything other than by you. And so, Jesus, now over this time, over this month, we ask for the anointing of your spirit. We ask for open hearts, for open minds, and for a willing spirit to move into the very adventure that you're calling us to. And all God's people said, Amen. This morning, we are going to start right at the bottom shelf when it comes to stewardship, when it comes to understanding God's perspective on money, possessions, and finances. You see, there is one thing that we all have in common. You can really go anywhere in the world. You can go to the poorest places in the world and you can go and visit the Bay Street or Wall Street billionaires. And one thing we all have in common, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, we all have stuff. We do. Stuff that belongs to us. And stuff is kind of strange because we'll do all sorts of things to know, care for our stuff and we insure our stuff and we move our stuff around with us wherever we go and we store it when we don't have enough room in our house for all our stuff. We look after our stuff and all sorts of things. Strange thing about our stuff is that after we've spent a lifetime of packing it and moving it and painting it and protecting it, sorry to say, we all die. Like, we eventually die. And we leave all of our stuff for someone else. And the whole thing starts all over again. 
And this goes on generation after generation. And it can start to seem like stuff is eternal. Like it just never goes away. We, we go away, but our stuff doesn't. I mean, some of us right here in this room or online, you have things in your home hanging around called antiques around your home. That's just somebody else's stuff that you ended up with because they died and left it there for you. And someday, you know, big, big happy uh, Sunday morning message, you and I are going to die. And all of our stuff will end up with someone else. That's just true. That's just how life goes. Despite the fact that our stuff doesn't stay with us forever, you know, many of us have trouble sharing our things. Don't touch my stuff. You know, letting things go. Get your hands off my stuff. And there is this odd tension. Because I know, as do you, that someday I'm going to give all of my stuff away. All of it. As my dad used to say, there's no hearses pulling U-Hauls, right? That just doesn't happen. But while I've got my stuff, you know, I'm not sure I really want to share it. I'm not really sure I want to part with the things that are important to me. You know, the same is true about money. Someday, we're going to give all of our money away. What a generous group of people we are. Aren't we? Amazing. It's going to be spent or taxed or invested. Or the day will come when we're going to breathe our last and all our money is going to someone else. You know, and even though we know this, we can hold that in our minds. We know this. We can hold pretty tight to our money, can't we? And we can be reluctant to be fully generous. Hang on to that term with me, fully generous. Now, I'm not talking here about putting a few dollars in the offering plate or a few dollars to charity or giving something to uh, some change to a person asking for something on the corner. You know, I think we all have what, what, what I'd call peripheral money that we're willing to give away. And I think most people do that. I mean, hardly anyone is that greedy that they won't give anything to anyone. Don't come across people that often. But man, when it comes to giving away a substantial amount of money, how about this? When it comes to altering my lifestyle in order to give more away, boy, that's when it starts to rub us the wrong way. And it's so hard to do. Even though we know it's all going away someday anyway. For today... To open my hand, boy, that's tough. And you wonder, why is that? Why is it so hard for so many of us, me included, to be radically generous? I mean, not going after minimums, but to be radically generous. You know, honestly, I think the thing that holds us back from living life open-handed is that we've believed a myth about ownership. We've been deceived into thinking that we are owners of all that we have. And the Bible teaches that you and I can't truthfully say mine about anything. There isn't one thing you can stand over or look at or consider and biblically say, that is mine. It's all mine. We can't say it. Truthfully, we can't. This weekend, we're going to look at a story in the Bible about a group of people, a king and his subjects, who found a way, I think, to break through the myth of ownership And at least for a moment, saw their stuff and their money the way God saw it. And by doing so, we're part of something that was so incredible that we're still talking about it on a morning like this, thousands of years later. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. We're going to be working through the first 13 verses there together this morning. The scripture is going to be coming up on the screen, but if you have a Bible on your device or whatever else, 1 Chronicles 29. 
And if you're new to the Bible, maybe you're visiting here and someone's given you a Bible and you're not sure what to do with this big book and what's a chronicle anyway, here's what you do. You just go to the table of contents at the beginning and you find First Chronicles. And number one with the word chronicles, you'll go to that page number. The large, bold numbers in the Bible are chapters. So just go over to number 29. That's First Chronicles 29. And then all the small numbers afterwards are verses. And that's how you find things in the Bible. That's how you reference things in the Bible. So we're going to be in First Chronicles 29, starting in verse 1 in just a moment. But we need to set the context of what's going on. A lot has happened as we come up to... We need to get up to speed about what's happening in this story before we look at First Chronicles 29. The story is really about King David. David was the second king of Israel after Saul. And Israel was this nation that God had brought out of Egypt, brought across the wilderness into a promised land. And after generations of judges and different kinds of leadership, they established a monarchy. And so there's this monarchy and Saul was the first. And Saul uh, had a good start but a bad ending. When God made this promise over a man named David, that David was going to be the kind of leader whose heart was fully devoted to him. And so there was this prosperity that had come with David's reign over Israel. There was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of war, a lot of, um, a lot of things going on with the, the neighboring nations. But as we come into this part of the story, David is coming to the end of his life. And there's this peace that's you know, over Israel. There's this sense of prosperity. There's this sense of goodness about all that's gone on. After generations and generations of darkness, of being nomads, of not having a home, really for the first time in what would be the biblical narrative of Israel, this is their moment. I mean, this is their high time. This is when things are going right. And so David is coming to the end of his life. And as we're coming up to First Chronicles 29, David starts to have this kind of crisis of his heart. Something's going on in him. That's troubling him. Something's upsetting him. And this is really what it was. David, as he comes to the end of his life, starts to look around at what he has influence over. And one of the things he starts to look around at is his house. I mean, he's the king. So a palace was built for him. And I'm talking beautiful wood and gold and stonework and all these sorts of things. Just imagine this with me. David one day is walking through his house and he's looking at this kind of palatial structure. And he knows that this isn't how life began for him. He began as a shepherd out in a field. And yet God took him on this rocket ride of leadership and influence. And David didn't always get it right. Not even close. Flawed individual, just like me. But the one thing that had been consistent is that God had been with David thick and thin, up and down through his whole life. And now David walking through his palace. The shepherd kid from the field walking through a king's palace. And it starts to overwhelm him. And you can imagine him one day coming to the edge of a balcony, let's say. And he's standing on the edge of his balcony. He's looking out over the kingdom that God has given him influence over. And he notices something in the distance. He notices a tent. He knows it's called the tabernacle. And inside that tabernacle, just outside the city, is something called the Ark of the Covenant. And David knew, as we know from Scripture, that the Ark of the Covenant is what represented the presence of God among the people. It's not that God lived in the box. Don't get me wrong. It's not like there's a gold box and God's living inside. God had given the Ark of the Covenant to the people to say, wherever you go, I'm with you. I'm out ahead of you. You know, do not be afraid. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this Ark of the Covenant was the sign of God's presence among the people of Israel. And so here's David standing in a palace 
the palace of a king, and he looks just outside the city, and he sees the Ark of the Covenant of God being housed in a tent. And he says, something is not right here. Something's got skewed. Something's got messed up. How is it that I'm living in luxury while the Ark of the Covenant is being kept in a tent? We've got to do something different. David says, I've got to do something better. And the idea comes to his heart and mind. David says, I'm going to construct a temple for the God who has been with us right from day one and before. And he would say, you know, all the other pagan nations have these kind of big temples to their gods. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to figure out a way, not for a way to contain God, but a way to build something that points, even in just a, in a fraction of a way, to the majesty, power, and goodness of God. And so we're going to build a temple. And we're going to get that Ark of the Covenant out of a tent, out of the tabernacle. We're going to place it in a beautiful temple that points to the majesty and holiness of God. It was time to construct a temple. And so David starts collecting the plans. He starts dreaming of it and praying about it and wondering about it. And there comes this point where I think David was probably ready to initiate the plans of the temple that he was going to build with the people. And God sends David a message through a prophet and says this, David, God says, you know, I love your enthusiasm here. I love what you're doing. I don't need a temple, honestly. I, I both fill and contain the universe, thank you. But I love what you're doing here, God says. Um, and you, the temple's going to be built, but David, um, it's not going to be you. Uh, you're not going to build this temple. Love the idea, but it's not you. You see, God said, David, your hands have shed blood. There's been murder and war all over you. And what I'm establishing here, God says, is a kingdom of peace. There's a way of peace. And so here's how this is going to go. David, you can come up with all the plans and you can set things in motion. But that you're going to stop. And you're going to pass this to Solomon, your son, the one who's going to precede you as king. And he's going to be the one. Solomon's going to be the one that builds the temple. That assignment is going to somebody else. And David had a decision to make right at this moment. He could have said, you know what, if I'm not going to see this temple, I'm mailing it in. Forget it. But he didn't. David decided that if he couldn't be part of building the temple, he would do the capital campaign to raise all the money and resources for it to be accomplished. So that when Solomon, his son, after David was long gone, dead and gone, Solomon would be able to give the green light on a temple project and not have to raise a cent. That it was all going to be ready. The plans, the resources, everything was going to be ready. And that's what David did. David essentially empties the treasury of his life to resource what he believed in the most. And now we come to the text. First Chronicles 29 verse 1. David's been thinking about this, praying about this, working like this. And then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I've provided for the temple of my God. Let's pause right there. With all my resources. This phrase implies that as David thought about what he was going to give towards this project, personally and professionally, he was looking for ways to give as much as he could possibly give. You know, notice there's nothing about percentages here. There's nothing about how little can I give and hopefully keep God happy with me. What's the minimum requirement? That's not here. No, we find David at this point in his life. He's an elderly man. He's gained the perspective that comes with age. And he says, I'm going to do 
all that I can to enable myself to give all that I can. I want to give to the maximum of my ability toward this great project to honor God. That's what's on David's heart. Look at the last half of verse 2. He says, I'm going to give gold for the gold work. I've given silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in large quantities. Verse 3, besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I've provided for this holy temple. I mean, have you ever seen someone so all in with a move of generosity? This is a move of radical generosity so that he could give to the maximum of his ability. Now, someone that was way, is way smarter than me and probably has a really slick computer program decided to get in here and figure out in today's dollars how much David gave, both out of the king's treasury, that's kind of national money, but then also out of his personal treasury, his own personal money. Someone went in and in round figures figured out what he would have given personally and professionally to this project in today's dollars. You know how much it is? What he gave works out to roughly $17 billion. That's with a B, billion. $17 billion that David said, I'm going to give everything I've got for what I believe in the most. And he empties the treasury of his life and says, here's the open hand. God, it's all yours. Last half of verse 5. After doing all of this, David says, now who's willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then the leaders of families, the officers of tribes and of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, the officials in charge of the king's work gave, what's the word there? Say it again, gave willingly. Verse 9, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given, say these words with me, freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Freely and wholeheartedly. And David the king also greatly rejoiced. You know, what you have happening here in this text is something that I don't really see in church very often. Um, I mean, this was like a giving frenzy. I mean, something had happened. And the people began to see their money and their stuff from a different perspective. You know, suddenly they're asking the question, not how little can I give to keep God happy with me, but rather, what can I do with what I have to enable myself to give more? I mean, this is so different than how we often think about giving. So often we approach generosity. And I'm not talking just about what we put in the plate on the weekend. Please don't hear that. I know that there's a lot of um, suspicion around people like me, preachers that get up and they say, you know, give all your money and things like that and put it in the plate. It helps my life, all those sorts of things. We know there's stories out there about people, Christian leaders, play, pay, playing fast and loose with the tithes and offerings. And I'm so grateful to be part of a church where historically, as I've looked at it, that's never happened here. And I just want you to know, as we step into this series, should have done this early, I just want you to know, there's no bait and switch here for me to you. There's no building up to some sort of capital campaign that we're going to launch or anything else like that that's in mind. Really, we just sense that God has put on our hearts as leadership for this season to talk about what the Bible speaks about resources. And so I hope that you'll continue to walk with us in this. Because often we approach generosity with this minimalist mindset. And we start to say, what's the minimum requirement that I need to give to what? 
make God happy and help me feel good. You know, some of us here are what I'd call percentage givers, tithers. And often the question gets asked, so as a pastor, I get asked this all the time. So do I give off the gross or the net? Like what's God really expecting of me here? Well, what about gifts? I got a birthday gift. I give off that or my tax return. That's always helpful. Do I get some from that? Do I have to give off of that? Do I need to give some of that away too? And I say, what's, what's really behind that question? Are, are we coming from a heart that is out looking for ways to be open-handed and generous with that question? Not really. Now, oftentimes it's an attitude that says, what's the least that I can get away with giving and still be okay? Like, what's the minimum requirement here? Just let me meet that and then we'll be good. I think God has something better for us than that. So what is it that David and the people knew or understood that allowed them to live so freely and generously with their stuff and their money? And, and, you know, it wasn't just that they gave. You see this in the text. They gave with joy and anticipation. I mean, what is it that could possibly inspire a group of people to live like that? You know, here's what it is. Here's what I think it is. This group here that we've just learned about, knew the difference between ownership and stewardship. That's the difference. They knew the difference between being an owner. An owner says, it's mine. I'll open my hand when I'm good and ready and when I feel like it, but it's all mine. And the difference between that and a steward who says, it's all God's. And I'm just a manager. I'm just looking after God's resources. You see, right after this giving frenzy happened in the text, David prayed a prayer, sang a song of praise in prayer. And in this prayer, I think we get insight into David's perspective on money and stuff that apparently everyone else adopted too. And really, this is the foundational piece for the rest of the series. If we don't get this, we really won't get anything else. So I want us just to really briefly look into this prayer. Because what David prays and how he prays it is the theology of stewardship. It's a way of understanding who we are before God and what our stuff is for. Look at verse 10 and 11. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, for everlasting to everlasting. Look at this. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Here's the first thing we see. Everything belongs to God. And I mean everything belongs to God. Would you say that with me? Everything belongs to God. Good. I mean, think of what it took for David to realize that this kingdom he's king over isn't his. I mean, he has fought for this kingdom. He has bled for this kingdom. He's been pursued into caves for this kingdom. He's cried about this kingdom. He's rejoiced in this kingdom. And yet David gets to the end of his life after pouring himself out for God in this kingdom, and as David surveys everything under his control, everything under his stewardship, he says this, God, everything is yours. This kingdom, all that I have, all that I am, God, it's all yours. None of this is mine. Isn't that amazing? David looks over all of it and says, I don't own any of it. Everything in heaven and on earth, God, it's yours. And that's the first part of being a steward. Everything belongs to God. Verse 12. He then says, Wealth and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of all things. So not only does everything belong to God, we see right after that everything I have comes from God. 
Everything comes from God. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Why? Why does everything come from Him? Pretty simple. Because it all belongs to Him. Tracking with me, right? It's all His. And if I have anything, it's because He's given it. One last verse, verse 13. David says, In your hands, God, are strength and power to exalt. Now that word exalt just means to make great. God, it's in your hands what you do with people. Make great and give strength to all. So everything belongs to God. And everything I have comes from God. Here's the third thing. And everything is dispersed by God. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. And everything is dispersed by God. Now we can struggle with this truth when we live in a society that celebrates the self-made individual. And we can easily fall into a trap of believing that everything I have belongs to me because I've earned it. But that's not what the scripture teaches. And you say, wait, hold on a minute. I mean, I had this really killer business idea and I came up with the idea and I've made the money off. And I said, yeah, but who gave you a brain to think of that idea? Who gave you a sense of creativity? Who gave you the personality of an entrepreneur? I mean, we trace everything back and we can honestly say by the testimony of scripture, everything we have is dispersed by God. God, as he decides, gives to people as he chooses. Here's the thing. The reason that I can't look at you and be envious of what you have, or you look at me and be envious because of what I have, it's because everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God, and everything is dispersed by God. So when we get a hold of these truths and allow them to start to influence our perspective on stuff and money, when we get this, we stop thinking of ourselves as owners, and we start behaving like stewards. You see, a steward is someone who manages somebody else's stuff. A steward is someone who uses the resources they've been entrusted to manage with the desires of the owner in mind. Did you catch that? Right? The steward's job is to look at what's been given to them and think about how to accomplish the purposes of the owner. I mean, if you've ever gone to someone that helps you with investments or wealth management or anything else like that, the best question they ask, when you, you, know, you bring some resources and you sit down at their desk and you lay them there, the first question they should ask, I think, if they're a good money manager, you're going to entrust some money to them, is they say to you, what goals do you have in mind for this money? Do you have an educational goal, you have a housing goal, whatever else it is? It becomes that person's job to wisely invest your money to meet your goals. I mean, if you went, honestly, if you went to a money manager... And you laid the resources in front of them. And the money manager doesn't say anything about your goals, but says, you know what? I'm so glad you're here and giving this over. My basement needs a redo, and now I can do it. So thank you. That's great. You'd probably take it all back and out the door. A steward's job is to work with the resources of the owner to meet the goals and purposes of the owner. The best question, the best question we can ask when it comes to being stewards is this. God, what do you want me to do with your money? What do you want me to do with your stuff? How can I rearrange the life I've been given to maximize what I can contribute to fulfilling your purposes, God, in this world? Because here's the truth that we're going to learn over this month. You know, every single one of us, like it or not, we're all stewards. There's no owners in the room today. What the Bible calls us to 
It doesn't say you can be a steward or an owner. It says, no, no, you are stewards. That's the deal. Because nothing belongs to you. Will you be a wise steward? Or will you be a foolish steward? That's really the call of Scripture. We're all stewards. That's settled. Everything belongs to God. And everything comes from God. And everything is dispersed by God. So this month is all about what kind of stewards will we be of God's stuff. This is what David and the people came to realize in the story we've looked at. And it changed their world. It really did. And I think when we embrace the fact that we're stewards of God's stuff and start getting God's resources into circulation for his kingdom as he wants us to, I think it changes our world too. You know, one of the questions you may be having is, I I wrestled with this this week too. It's like, why all the inequity in the world? I mean, is it God's fault that he's making people poor and making people rich? Here's what I honestly think. I believe that a lot of the inequity in our world, a lot of the injustice in our world financially is caused by people hanging on to God's stuff as their own and refusing to share it with those whom God is wanting us to share it with. I honestly think that's it. I think God has entrusted resources to people and we start getting the ownership mindset and we hold on to it. I think the whole financial reality and accessibility to justice and righteousness in this world changes if just the Jesus followers in the world started to act like stewards instead of owners. When when we sit with our resources, the first thing we ask isn't, what do I want to do with this? The first thing we start asking is, God, what would you have me do with the resources that are yours, that you've given me to fulfill your purposes? Now, I think we need a good way, a good reminder to put into practice what we've been learning here on our first weekend of open-handed. So in a moment, you've got to hear me. Everyone, you know, we're going we're gonna to need some help here. In a moment, I'm going to need three volunteers. Don't put your hands up yet because there's some parameters around this. There's going to be three of you join me on the platform in a second. And some are elbowing their significant other beside them right now. Don't do it. Stay seated, right? I need three volunteers to join me up here on the platform. Now, for this to work, I know there's lots of guests in the room today, but I'm going to ask that you be at least a regular attender of Rexdale Alliance Church. I'm going to ask that you're kind of around. If this is your first Sunday here and you're already sure you're not coming back, and just stay where you're seated. Maybe we'll talk. We can talk later. Uh, but if you're a regular part, regular attender of Rexdale Alliance Church, and you're willing to take a few weeks' risk with me, I need three people. How about two from down here and one from the balcony? So somebody just wave at me. Can someone wave? Who wants to? A regular attender of Rexdale Alliance and willing to take a risk. Are we that risk averse? Wow. Oh, we got someone back here. Okay, come on up. Can you come on the platform? Thank you. Right here. Okay, come on up. That's two. Someone from the balcony? Nobody? Is that why you sit up there? So that you can be away? Right here. Okay, come on down. I'm going to take a minute. Why don't you introduce yourself to the Shema? Shema. This is Shema. We welcome Shema. You took a brave step. Palomina, how are you? Good. Let's welcome her. We're doing this to make time for the person that's coming. Okay, come on right up here. Right up here. Come right up from. Have you ever been up here before? Uh, no. No? How does it feel? I've been here. You've been there? Yeah, you've been in the choir. Hi. Hi. You doing well? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, come on up. Here we go. I can't see. Let's welcome. I can't see who it is. Carissa, hi. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Welcome. Good Only to see girls. you. Yeah, women. Man, where's the risk takers? Come on. You know, this is the deal. So come on right up in Palomino, right up in here, right here. Okay? These are our volunteers. And they're going to help teach us about stewardship over the next 
number of weeks. So here's what I'm going to do. I have three envelopes here. And I'm going to just do, I don't know, we'll do this one over here. Okay, just hang on to it. Don't open it. There you go. There you go. Okay. Now, what's in those envelopes doesn't belong to you. But you're going to use it. So I want you to open it up and show everybody what you have. Okay? Okay, what do you have there? Okay, so hold it up nice and big. Okay, I'll take, I'll take the envelope. Okay. What do you have, Palomina? A $100 bill. $100 bill. Okay. So what do you have? A 20. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold it out in your hand like this. Okay? As best you can. I know it's folded, but just as best you can. So here's the deal with this money. Here's what you just signed up for. You ready to know why you're up here? No. No? <laughs> you just want to take the money and go for lunch. Swiss chalet on you. Okay. Um, the first thing to know is this. This money is not yours. You didn't come in here with it, right? It was just given to you now, and I didn't plant you in the congregation beforehand. So now you just came in here on a regular day, and someone's given you something that's not yours. You'll also notice that the amounts are different, right? There's a 50, a 100, and a 20 by design, because not everybody gets the same amount. But here's, here's our lesson for today, and here's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. Because this money doesn't belong to you, this is God's money. It really is. This, this money belongs to God. What I want to ask you to do with it is kind of in your life, keep it before you. Not every day going to work holding a money thing, but kind of in your heart. That would be weird. Um, hold it out kind of in your heart. And I want you to ask God, God, what would you have me do with this $50? How can I get this $50 into circulation for your kingdom? How can I get this $100? God, it's yours. How can I use it to bless somebody, to glorify you? This $20... How can I bless you, God? How can I bless somebody? And whatever God tells you to do with it, you do it. And don't do the thing where you just come back and put it back in the offering plate. Like, don't do that thing. Like, really listen. And there may be an opportunity where someone says, or God says to you, there's someone that needs a lunch today. I want you to take them. I want you to buy them lunch. Or there's someone in need that you come across. Or there's something that comes up where God says, this is what I'm asking you to initiate with my money. And this is what you're going to do is you're going to listen to him over the next number of weeks. And before the end of our series, at the end of the month, I want you to be able to come back, whether by video or written testimony or something, tell us what God told you to do with his money. And we're going to celebrate with you what God did in just getting more of his money circulating for his kingdom. Are you willing to do that? Yes. Yes? Okay, let's give him a hand. You can go sit down. You can take and go. Now all you men are wishing you volunteered. (laughs) They're passing out money at church. What? The one day I don't volunteer. Yeah. Here's how the rest of us are going to get involved in this. I want you as an individual, as a couple, as a family, I want you this afternoon or maybe tomorrow, I want you to decide on an amount, a 20, a 50, 100, whatever else. And just maybe you're around the table or if you're on your own, just hold it in your hand. And over this next month, we just take one amount. I'm not asking you to become um, tithers today or anything else like that. I'm not asking you to dump a whole bunch of money in the offering plate next week. That's not it. I want us to go after this concept that if everything belongs to God and everything comes from God and everything is dispersed by God, it means I'm a steward. And so we're going to put this in our hand. Let's get our kids involved in this even. Around lunch today or dinner tonight or tomorrow, just place an amount that God puts on your heart. Just choose one of those three amounts or $5 even. And then start praying together. Don't make assumptions. Just start praying. God, what would you have us do as stewards of your resources? What would you have us do to get your money moving? To bless you, 
and to bless somebody else. And you just hold it open as a family, as an individual, as a couple, and see what happens. And I'm wanting to see, I would love to start to hear over the next number of weeks testimonies of what God has done simply in just one step of generosity to take what doesn't belong to us, to hold it open-handedly and see what God does with a willing heart. You really want to try? Willing to try? Okay. Yes? Okay, again, six of us. Okay, we've doubled it. Okay, we're going to go. And hey, no snitching to the people at the 11 telling them what's coming, because then I'll have like 50 volunteers handing out money. I don't want that, so no snitching at the next service. We are all stewards. We're not owners. Because of this, would you say these with me again, all three? Everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything is dispersed by God. And that's how we're going to participate as stewards in the coming weeks you know this week as i prepared this message and realized that we'd be gathering around the lord's uh, lord's table for communion i can't think of a better way to acknowledge to worship to give praise to the god who is fully generous to us than by coming to the table and receiving from him because here's the thing here's the thing about the communion table you know we never come with stuff in our hands to trade with god we always come to the table open-handed to receive the bread and to receive the cup From a generous God who said, I am pouring out everything of myself to you to set you free and to keep you from the sin that entangles and bondages your heart. And so I'm going to call our worship team up. And for those who are uh, serving us communion, just come to your stations. Uh, You can come right now. And um, wherever you are, I just want to make sure we have people to serve. In a moment, I'm going to guide us um, in a prayer. About the bread and the cup for communion. Uh, there's three stations here, and there's some up in the balcony as well. And here's all I'm asking you to do, just to help movement happen, is you're simply going to move to your left. So this section, going to move to your left, come out the uh, aisleway, and go clockwise. Again, all of this section, come around this way, okay? And then this section, go to your left, come up to the station, and then back. And I want you to take the bread, and I want you to take the cup, and simply hold on to it until we're ready to partake together. But really, this is our meditation. The only reason we have the privilege of being generous is because God's been generous to us. It always flows out of his character and who he is and what he's like. And so if you're here this morning, and you know that you're someone in need of God's mercy, you know that you come to him open-handed and say, God, unless I receive from you, I've got nothing. And you're in a place in your heart where you know that apart from God, you can't do anything. And you completely rely on the grace and mercy of Jesus. And you're welcome to come. If you don't know where you are in that journey, you're not even sure you want God's mercy, I invite you just to stay in your seat. And that's okay. Everybody's on a journey. But for everybody that knows they're in need of God's mercy today, in in need of God's generous mercy to you, then I invite you to come. Take the bread. Take the cup. Return to your seat. Hold on to it. And we'll partake together. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you. grateful god sometimes words fail me saying thank you doesn't seem like a good enough word when i consider the sacrifice the outpouring of generosity of you giving your very life for us jesus on a regular basis you call us back to this table and you tell us come open-handed take the bread take the cup i give it to you 
to let you know and to remind you that you're forgiven and free. You have the freedom of Christ upon you. And so as those who have been redeemed and set free, those, those of us who know we are in desperate need of God's mercy every moment of every day, we now come and receive from you our generous God who never holds out on us, but always lavishes us with what is good and best for us. And we do this now in the name and anointing of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand, please?